we're live. Everybody, welcome back. It is the first of 2020. We've been off for a couple of weeks. Well, we've been off the podcast for a couple of weeks. We've been visiting a one-armed paper hanger for about four weeks trying to keep this, keep this train on that, the track. Has it been that long? Has it been a podcast? Yeah, yeah. It's been almost, probably al- right almost a month, at least three yeah. weeks. Yeah. Well, we apologize for that. We hope everybody had a nice holiday and a good New Year's and everything. And uh, we'll try to get uh, we'll try to get back going here. Um, I actually got a uh, I actually got a message last night on Facebook from a guy I've known since from the first grade, not a truck driver, not not in truck. And he's like, "When's the episodes coming?" I'm like, "Soon, brother." I've actually got a couple of emails here we need to talk about today too that yes. we've, I've well, received. Well, let's so. go ahead and start with those. And okay. uh, uh, we'll cover that and then get into some subject matter. I um, had a, a fellow email tell me a little bit about himself, a longtime listener. I uh, told him I wouldn't use his name. I didn't want to embarrass him or anything like that. But his initials are A.D. So, A.D., if you're listening, this is to you. But he had several questions, and I thought, well, maybe it would be better if we answered these on, on the uh, podcast because usually if one person has a question several or more do they just don't go to the trouble to ask it you know so um let me kind of just i'll I'll read a little bit about what he sent my name is ad i'm a truck driver van with tanker hazmat endorsement currently driving for blank and living in blank i'll be approaching two years experience toward the end of the month i've been listening to your podcast religiously for several months now often replaying episodes to make sure I retain the information. My favorite episodes are 52, The Cost of Not Keeping Score, uh, 54, Don't Get Pimped, 55, Truck and Grow Rich, and 61, Why Do You Want to Be an Owner-Op, 49, Introducing Larry Long, and finally all of the Dissecting a Decade episodes, Man, Were They Informative. Chris, you really broke things down and gave me a lot to think about. <laughs> I chuckled at this one. Larry, you have a wealth of knowledge and a great speaking cadence and tone that make listening feel like we're having a fireside chat with my favorite uncle. Crazy Uncle Larry. <laughs> I guess. Thanks, Everybody's uh, got a crazy uncle. Thanks, A.D., for the nice words. Uh, the reason I'm contacting you is because I'm at a crossroads regarding my career. I have reached that pace ceiling, in air quotes, that Chris spoke about in episode 61, I believe. I can't say anything bad about my current employer. I just know that I want to earn more money to set myself up for retirement. I'm middle-aged. I've been researching, purchasing, not leasing, a used truck and signed on to a carrier. Good for you. I've also been considering switching jobs and companies and driving a tanker for a while to use the endorsement to see that I have and see if I can make more money. Ultimately, I'd like to make that hundred grand per year that you guys speak about so often in your podcast. I'm a hard worker. I don't believe in missing work. However, I know that no matter how hard I work in my current situation, I will never make a hundred thousand dollars. Should my we ba- pause? Should we pause right there? Because I think there's a there's okay. a good point in there. Okay. Um, that that's because I I work for the same carrier, you know that that he's talking about that he works for, uh-huh. and I and I experienced it there. You know, I had I had really done well there maximizing the opportunity. But I realized, you know, in order to make 70 or 80 or 90, I'd have to run 200,000 miles a year. You know, I, I was limited when you're paid by the mile. You're that's it. Once you once you hit the maximum number of miles, you know, even if you max out the pay scale. 
Right. Um, and I was pretty high up on the pay scale because of my experience. And I, I think that line, however, I know that no matter how hard I work in my current situation, I'll never make a hundred thousand. That's, that's 100% true. Sure. And so what's that next step? What's grade 13 that we've talked about? And that step, as far as we're concerned, is getting your own truck and becoming an owner operator. But if you do it the wrong way, you'll never make a hundred thousand there either. No, no, you make, and and also too, you know, I, I know where he is, and I know he's probably getting paid by the mile. And you know, we preach this too. You know, being paid by the mile, the only way you can increase your income is to add more miles. Well, you know, there's always been a limit to that. Now there's even big, bigger limit with the, with the ELD mandate and and all that. You know, hours of service that goes with that now. You, you, you only, you know, your store can only be open so many hours a week, you know, and, right. and, and making this a mileage thing, you can only drive so many miles. Well, I had the same problem when I was at Transport America doing the FedEx, you know, I mean, I, I, I drove my ass off. Okay. I mm-hmm. couldn't drive anymore. I could not drive one mile more than I was already. So, I mean, even though I was making really, really good money, I couldn't make any more. So I had right. to add trucks, you know, so I had to add truck two, truck three, truck four, you know. So you're right, and he's and he's right too. I mean, you, he's in a situation where his uh, goal is to exceed a hundred thousand dollars a year, and he can't see any way where he is, or really not just where he is, but in that situation that he's in, you know, a company driver for a carrier uh, with uh, with a mileage contract, you know. Yeah. How do you, how do you change that? So, <clears throat> well, go, moving on, he's a. He, he says, my background, I'm a U.S. Army veteran, have an associate's degree in business administration, bachelor's degree in business management. Wow, nice. Have approximately eight to ten years of supervision and management experience, primarily in logistics and warehousing. Uh, towards the end of 2017, I decided to get my CDL. I knew a few people who drive for themselves or are making a good living. I've always been one to gather intelligence, again in air quotes, as we used to say in the Army. First, prior to taking on a new endeavor, hence listening to your podcast, reading, and talking to others. I'm also a listener and fan of Dave Ramsey. Outstanding. So here are his questions. Uh, My questions for purchasing a truck. How do you obtain an oil sample prior to purchasing a truck from a dealer? Will they allow you to do that? Do you use Rig Dig for obtaining reports on all the trucks you purchase? Well, the second one is yes. We we uh, always go to Rig Dig because uh, it's like, well, you we buy a package usually whenever we're shopping for a truck because I'm going to be doing multiple searches. But I think one search is twenty nine dollars something like that. I yeah. want to say I think we get a package of three for sixty something, and then a package of ten for like ninety some. But but yes, I would recommend that you do that. And if you don't, if you don't know what a rig dig is, if you've ever bought a used car and you got one of those, what's it called? Carfax. Um, Carfax. Thank you. It's it's a Carfax for a big truck, and it will go through and pull out public records. Um, if it's ever been in a wreck where insurance was involved, that's going to show up. It'll show you all of the roadside inspections and ro- and any any type of. Um, uh, contact with law enforcement will be on there and what the reasons were. So if it's a driver issue or a truck issue, you'll know that. Uh, all the different owners of that truck will be on there. So you could tell if it was ever in a, in a fleet or what fleet it was or, or whatever. So uh, if there's a problem with the title, if it was ever a salvage vehicle or whatever, you would know that. 
if there is a problem with the mileage not making sense, you would know that. So I definitely recommend that you do that. Um, oil sample. That's a little different uh, question. Yeah. Uh, buying from a dealer, unless you happen to get there really, really early on in their trade-in process, you're not going to be able to do that because most dealers, the first thing they want to do is bring it in and service it to get it on the lot to add to the value. Um, so uh, another thing you have to remember is that the kinds of trucks that we buy, you don't really, we don't usually buy them from a dealer because dealers don't keep the trucks that we're in. They wholesale the trucks that we want. So you're probably yeah. not going to find it at a dealer unless it's a used truck dealer. And even then, most of the trucks that we buy, and if you're going to buy the kind of truck that we recommend, you're probably going to buy it from an individual, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'd say 99% of the time. And individuals usually don't change the oil because they don't want to spend any more money on it. Right. So usually if you find an individual, you can offer. What I do is I, I tell them, look, take it to the nearest Detroit shop, and I'll call them and give them a credit card and have them pull the sample. Uh, if they're mechanically inclined and they seem like they're wanting to cooperate with you, sometimes I'll send them an oil sample that I have, a kit, and have them pull it and send it back to me. I don't like doing that, though, unless I have a really good relationship because I don't trust that they'll get the oil out of the truck that I'm buying, okay? Right. Um, I've had a <laughs> sidebar here. Um, uh, last three trucks we've bought, uh, we've not been told the truth about anything, so I'm kind of getting to where I hardly believe anything that anybody tells me that's selling me a truck. Let me jump in right there because I've thought about this. Because I listened to Kevin for years give his kind of rundown for how you should approach a truck. Do a dyno, do an ECM report, do a rig dig, get an oil sample, get as much information as you can. And a lot of times he would say, well, you're looking for reasons not to buy this truck. Right. And I understood that on a, on a basic level, but now I have a different understanding. Because what you're looking for is as much truth as you can get your hands on. An oil sample is not going to lie to you. A rig dig is not going to lie to you. Uh, a dyno is not going to lie to you. The owner of the truck is going to lie like hell. The last, you know, the last three trucks we bought, I mean, it's comical in a way. You want to know how to tell if they're lying, Chris? If their lips are moving? Their lips, <laughs> their lips are moving. I, I mean, I, I swear that I want to do this, not that it would do any good, but the next time we go buy a truck and we sign the paper and we hand them the cash, I want to say, okay, now, listen, the deal's done. We're taking the truck. It's ours. Okay, here you've got your money in your hand. Now, please tell me about all the bullshit that you just, you just spun, lied about. <laughs> that you just lied about, just so I'll know. Okay? I, I you know... Uh, this last truck, okay, let's just just real quick, let's run through this. All right, we were told it had an end frame last year. I don't know if he said that. He 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 indicated in the. I, I'm I'm not I'm not real positive, but I, I believe he said in in the last couple of years. Okay, know? but it wasn't we, the last couple of years. Right. So we find out that that the shop that re end framed it hadn't seen it since 2012. Twelve. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, look. Here's the bottom line. Buy it at a dealer. Buy it from an individual. Somebody's going to lie to you, either by omission because they just don't know. They don't have a clue. You know, the number of people that I have said, well, hey, what's the gear ratio? What? What's the gear ratio? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know. 
you know. I mean, I, I, I sent a guy a message on Facebook the other day. I said, hey, what's the gear ratio? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, well, it's on a tag on the dash. Three messages back and forth. He could never find it. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, have a nice day, brother. You're going to get lied to or you're going to get bad information. So what you're looking for is the most truth that you can get. Now, I believe, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but there's a gulf between the $10,000 truck that we're buying and the fifty to $70,000 used truck. You know, if you're trying to get one that's a few years old, we know we're buying trucks with problems. I mean, we you don't buy a $10,000 truck and not have some problems, not need brakes, not need a spring, not need bushings, not need something. We know that there's... Well, that we're going to spend ten to fifteen thousand dollars, so we could probably take some shots in the dark and not do this stuff. You know, we didn't all sample the last one. Did you rig dig the the blue one? Yeah, I did. Okay, so but we didn't take an oil sample on it. You know, there's one we did take an oil sample on that we turned down because it came back with coolant in the oil. But if you're not prepared to buy a truck from zero dollars to one hundred and fifty thousand. If you're not prepared to buy the truck, which means having enough money to fix those problems that you're going to find that either they didn't know about or they just lied to your face and tell you that not tell you about it because they want to unload it. So this is a search for truth in the places where you can get some measurable amount of truth. Go ahead. And and also at ten, we've made this comment before. Look, we went we look we look at a truck. Well, let's take. Let's take the Cascadia, for example, okay? The price we paid for the truck, mm-hmm. it didn't matter uh, right. about the other things because we weren't paying enough for the truck. It, it, if, if, all we, if all we did was turn around and resell it, it we, we would have made, we made 10 times the money we paid for it, okay? Right. It didn't make sense for us to do all that stuff. It didn't really matter. Right. Some of the trucks we've paid $10,000 for – we had we bought one that had a an APU on it that was worth half that. Oh yeah. Um, the motor, you know, was worth. I mean, there's just point times where it's pointless to go. I mean, I'm not saying don't do an oil sample. I would always do an oil sample if I could get one. Okay. But doing the dyno, doing some of the other stuff, you know, where you have to actually spend money to do it. I mean, we, we're probably going to buy the truck anyway. You know, the dyno is not going to make the difference whether we're going to buy that truck or not. Now, if we were spending fifty grand, seventy-five thousand on a truck, absolutely, there'd be a whole lot of things we'd be doing to it. Yeah. But you know, in our situation, it's not really that big a deal. And if you're out there listening and you're going to do what we preach to do, and go spend ten, fifteen grand for a truck, obviously, all the information you can get within reason, get. But don't go spend five hundred dollars to get a dyno and a an ECM report done on a ten thousand dollar truck. I mean. Come on, just spend the $500 on the repairs, you know, what yeah. you got to do to it. And don't spend $500 to find out that, you know, it's probably going to be what you think anyway. So maybe the one caveat to that is if you, if you took it to our guy at our Detroit shop, you know, and, and you shelled out 500 bucks for him to go tip to tail, inspect it, dyno it. And and pay five hundred bucks, especially if you're not all that mechanically inclined. And somebody could say, "Okay, here's a list. Here's the list of everything that's wrong." And then you can go in and start prioritizing. So it could be a 
it could be a handy and relatively inexpensive way to just get a basic assessment. Here's where this truck is right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the conditions of the bushings and the brakes and the springs and the engine and the transmission and the rear ends and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, but on a $10,000 truck with a million miles, I can tell you right now, all that shit's bad. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to pay 500 to find that out. Right. I can tell you right now it's bad. Okay. So it, I just spend the 500 bucks and fix it. That's what I would do. So next question, what's the best engine, Detroit or Cummins? If I'm planning to pull van freight, what's best, 10, 13, or automatic? Currently, I drive a Freightliner automated. They're changing the entire fleet over. Well, we're going to be pretty, um, we're going to be pretty biased about this. We are Detroit people, not because we have stock in them, or not because we, you know, it's like not, it's not like a Ford and Chevy thing. This Detroit right. Cummins thing. The Detroit is what we do because number one, every TA Petro truck stop in the United States is a Freightliner service point. And of course, Freightliner owns Detroit or Detroit owns Freightliner actually. It, it just, it's easier for us to get service. The parts are cheaper. The, the work's easier to get done, especially the older trucks. Mm-hmm. So it just, you know, we get better fuel mileage. There's just not going back, going back to these other episodes that you say are your favorites. I'm sure in one of those, I talked about how, Every decision I make personally about business is is about, I mean, one thing drives that decision. That's money, you know. So I right. could care less about the Chevy or the Ford nameplate. I could care less about the word coming to the word Detroit. What I care about is what's it cost me to maintain that truck? What's it cost me to fix it? What's it, how much downtime am I going to have? Okay. So um, I would rather spend the night at a TA and and uh, and get to get my truck worked on while I'm taking a ten hour break than to spend three or four days in a coming shop, you know, waiting to get in. So um, I, this is no brainer to me. Now, as far as a ten, thirteen, or automated, most of our trucks are tens only because that's what we find out there. If it was up to me, I'd probably choose a thirteen. I'm not an automated guy. Um, again, getting back to that same that same criteria, they're expensive to work on. Um, yeah. a lot of them are very problematic. And if you have one that is a problem, it can put you out of business before you get it fixed. So now, you know, we've thought about it because, you know, hiring younger drivers, you know, we might run into somebody that can't drive an auto, drive a manual. You know, fortunately that hadn't happened yet. I think, I think we probably just say, Hey, you know, you're not the right fit. We don't have an automatic. If you can't drive a manual, you know, you probably need to learn how to anyway. So, yeah. But uh, so the answer to this question would be Detroit hand over fist over uh, over a Cummins. Now, if you've already got a Cummins, I mean, by all means, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just they're just more expensive to work on, you know. Uh, but if you haven't bought one yet and you're looking, I would say Detroit. You know, I would and not, only, not only Detroit, but 60 series Detroit, you know, pre DD 15, you know, um, because we've got one of those. We just paid one hundred and twenty five dollars for a fuel filter for one of them. I'll let you read between the lines there. A $7,000 head gasket. Yeah. Yeah. That that head gasket on a Series 60 would have been about $1,800, and the fuel filter would have been $20, maybe. And there's one other component to this. Just, you know, we have a fleet, and it just doesn't make sense to have five Freightliners with a Detroit and one Peterbilt with a Cummins. You know, it just – that – 
and we, you know, we, we lost a truck to a wreck. We'll, we'll eventually talk about that at some point, but that truck has become a donor for other trucks. You know, oh, yeah. I, I went up there and, and took a door off of it. To, we, to took fix. Four, we took $4,000 worth of parts on off of it while it was sitting in the tow yard. Mm-hmm. $4,000 we took off that truck that would have just gone to the junkyard. Now, we eventually bought the truck. We would have kept it anyway. But still, if that had been a Cummins mm-hmm. and everything else we had was Detroit's. Yeah. And even if you're just going to have one truck, I'm still going to sit here and tell you that it's cheaper to run a Detroit engine than it is to run a Cummins engine. Certainly cheaper than anything else like Packard and all the other things. But I would uh, I would stick with Detroit. Uh, when you go into those TN Petros, they'll love you for coming in with an older motor that they don't oh, have to get a computer but... out to fix. You know. What do you mean? Uh, question three. What do you mean when you spoke about purchasing the right specs? to application and gear ratio, 390, 355. How do I determine that? Well, this goes to fuel mileage. Um, you know, all trucks, when they come off the assembly line, they're not all made to do the same things. Some of them are made for different parts of the country. Some of them are made for heavy haul. Some of them are made for, you know, like my metrosexual Mercedes. You know, it, it's, it, it, it wasn't specced. To, to do general freight 48 states. That's not what it was spec for, you know. So the gear ratio is a, a huge factor in, wh- in you, whether or not you can accomplish fuel mileage or not. And I, 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 don't, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to not explain this, but I also have to, I'm assuming that you understand what gear ratio is. And Chris, why don't you why don't you explain well, a little the, bit of the that gear, so they understand what we're talking about? The gear ratio is basically the difference between how fast the pinion at the axle is turning to how fast the tires are turning. So right. three three turns of the tires to ninety turns of the of the pinion. The higher the number, the faster the gears turn. Right. And the lower the number uh, the slower the gears turn. So if you have a 267, the pinion shaft, the drive shaft, the the trans, you know, it doesn't spin as fast as the wheels do. So think of your bicycle. The 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 when you get going down the road and you're switching gears and that big gear where you have to take less pumps, but you're going faster. That's the that's that's the relationship, and so these these higher numbers like a three ninety, well, those gears are screaming, you know they they'll give you a lot more torque because you can spin the motor up faster, but at sixty two miles an hour you might be turning fifteen sixteen hundred RPMs. That that's the most important part is the yeah the gear ratio is going to have a big effect on on your RPMs, you know, and we're talking about Detroit's probably go. You know, Detroit's want to run about 1325, 1350. That's their sweet, sweet spot. So you want it, whatever speed you're and, and this goes into your spec, too, is how fast do you want to drive? You know, if you're going to drive 60 miles an hour, okay, you need uh, to have a truck that is at about 1325, 1350 at 60 miles an hour. That's going to give you your best fuel mileage. Now, if you're going to scream down the road going 75 miles an hour, that's a different story. But you've got to buy the truck that fits your situation, and speed is one of your situations. Now, I'm going to tell you that you're stupid if you're driving 75 miles an hour down the road because you're spending too much money on fuel, and you know we'll talk about being broke here in a little bit, but that's one of the reasons why you're broke. 
So, yeah. you know, I, I think you should buy a truck that's spec for 58 to 62 miles an hour. That's what we do. And uh, that's going to get your bet. That doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean you can't drive 65 to get to a to a shipper because you're running late or whatever. But day to day running down the road when there's not an issue going on, you can run 58 to 62 and put that money in your pocket. And I'm I'm sure we talked about that in one of the uh, one yeah. of the things you talked about too. So the to get back to your question, how do you find out? Well, there, there's a tag. First of all, there's a tag on the component. If all else fails, look at the component. Walk, drag, you know, drag your ass under the truck. Look at the component. There'll be a tag on it. If it doesn't say, you can take the number off that and go on the internet. It'll tell you. Number two, it's it's in the door frame if it's not worn off. That's usually a bad place to look. But on a Detroit, or excuse me, on a Freightliner, if you'll go to where the glove compartment would be on a passenger car, and and on the in the right, if you sit in the right seat. And you look at the dash, there's a little panel right there that looks like a glove compartment, but there's no button on it. If you'll pull your pocket knife off and just pry that off a little bit, it just pops right off. And behind that will be a label. And because it's not showing, it, it's not been faded. It's brand new. That's what's called the build sheet. Get your phone out and take a picture of that because everything in there is what information you want. Uh, it'll tell you exactly what axles are in it, what 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 weight, you know, if it's if it, if it's uh you know, 20,000 pound axles or whatever, it'll tell you, you know, the, the engine, what the engine settings are. I mean, there's so much information. It will be on there. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you can't find, if that's gone, if they'll let you test drive the truck, go get the truck and go 60 miles an hour and see what your RPMs are. We can figure it out from there. Okay. So, um, or call the dealer or, or get the last six and call the dealer. They'll tell you exactly what it is. Exactly. Okay. Anything else about, about that you want to talk about, Chris? Uh, no, I think that's good. Number four, when negotiating with a dealer, what should they replace when I purchase a used truck, i.e. batteries, tires, change offloads, et cetera? Well, like I say, you're probably not going to buy this from a dealer, so I don't know if that really matters. But <clears throat> to answer your questions, um, negotiating stuff like this is a good thing to do. But if you can't get them to come down anymore on the price, these are the things that you can get to negotiate with because your your value for having these things fixed is a lot higher than what their costs are to fix them. Um, especially like tires. If you've got if you're if you're looking at a truck and, and you want wide base singles and your truck doesn't have it, I and this actually happened. I had a driver that uh, I was I was managing his truck for him, and this exactly happened. He bought a truck. And, and the truck right next to it had wide base singles, and this truck had tall 24 rubber. And I said, uh, hey, go ask them if they'll swap those tires out for you, you know, as, as part of the deal. And, and they did. And, I mean, that saved us a ton of money, you know, on, uh, on putting wheels and tires on that truck. But all these things you mentioned, batteries, I mean, those are, batteries are a two-year item on a truck. You know, tires, tires are a big deal. Now, yeah. getting, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get to wide base singles, this is a great time to do it because a lot of people don't want them. And uh, a lot of dealers would like to get rid of them. If there's a truck sitting there with, with those on it and you want them, I'm sure they would give them to you. But be careful because just all wide base single tires aren't e- created equal. Just because you're getting free tires doesn't mean they're the tires you want. But if you're getting the wheels, I'd say probably still be worth doing it. But uh, I would still check the tires and make sure that that model tire is a low rolling resistance tire. Okay. And your uh, chances of a dealer giving you. Line X Energy D Michelin's, you know, twelve hundred dollar tires. 
low. Next to zero. Yeah. But if they'll give you brand new wide singles, you can take them and trade them in trade and get some right. kind of credit in, out of them. Exactly. Exactly. Changing the fluids. Most all dealers are going to do that for you. I mean, they they do that because they want to say, hey, this truck's been serviced. So I don't think that's good. Now, you're not going to negotiate any of this with an individual, you know. So I don't I don't know where this, you know, this is not going to help you much. But uh, I don't, I honestly don't think negotiating with a dealer is something you're going to have to worry about because, you know, I don't, most people who listen to us aren't going to be buying a truck from a dealer. But anyway, right. it's a good question. Health insurance, do you, do you offer your drivers that? How do you obtain them? No. Health insurance, uh, first of all, remember that we are in the in the training process of teaching people how to become uh, self-employed, independent business people, okay? When you go into business for yourself, when you quit working for a company and you're off the tit, you don't get the milk out of it anymore. So there's no reason for us to prolong that for you because, number one, it costs money. So if we're going to do it, you know, we we that we just can't. We just can't do it for free. We'd have to pay our drivers less and give them health insurance. I'm trying to train businessmen here. How about I pay you all the money that we can possibly pay you, and you go get it on your own? You're going to have to do it anyway when you become a business owner. So we're just helping you learn how to do that. How do you obtain it? Well, as an independent businessman, you're going to have to get on the market. You know, at the, the current the current state is. You can't get into a group plan because it takes two people. And if you're an owner operator, you're just one. Um, you might get, none of the associations that I'm aware of. I've called OIDA just in the last month or so asking about this. They don't have a health group plan. Um, some of our drivers are participating in these. Um, what do they call Chris? Medical um, sharing plans. Yeah, there you go. There's a couple of some of them are associated with religious organizations. Some of them aren't, but it's not really health insurance. It's it's a it's a reimbursement kind of plan. But I'm sure you hear it about on on the radio all the time. They advertise a lot on SiriusXM. Uh, but you're probably going to have to buy Obamacare. Is what you're probably going to have to do on the market. You know. Uh, but once you leave your company, I mean, you got to understand. And we, and we listen. We see this a lot on Landstar groups. You know, guys come to Landstar. They've never been independent business people before and they come to Landstar and they have all these questions about what's well, the land do <laughs> I gotta I gotta tell you about this latest latest post I saw on one of the Landstar groups. I'm I'm gonna quote here. Do Landstar pay us for our DOT? Quote. I'll interpret that for you. Does Landstar reimburse us for getting our um medical uh, medical uh, physical <clears throat> so, no, Landstar do not pay that, and Landstar do not offer health insurance. And and when you become an owner-operator, um, you pay for that, along with everything else. You're, you're in business now. You're a businessman. Welcome to the real world, okay? You're no longer an employee, and now you're the, you shave the boss. So, the, you know, if you, if you get health insurance, you get to go buy it. Um, I know you gentlemen are very busy with the podcast. I appreciate and enjoy what you do. Blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, thank you, um, AD, for the questions. I got one more here if we want to dig into it. This fellow yeah. is actually from Canada. And again, I won't, I won't use his name because I didn't ask him if he wanted me to. So I haul crude oil with a company. I just wanted to say I really like your guys' podcast. I think it's really important to get the education out there on proper business management. I've been driving a truck for seven years. I was 19. I'm just, and I'm just the currently, a, I'm currently a, just a driver, 
but I've been looking into owning my own truck probably more than a few years now. You know, not every person, not really sure exactly what he's saying out there, but, uh, oh, oh, people are telling him don't buy a truck. There's no money in it. That's what he's saying. The rates are yeah. too low. Price of oil is come down quite a bit. Uh, he's in the oil business. So that's why the oil is important for him. Anyway, he said, I, I started, I wanted to dig through it. I've paid a lot of attention to cost, uh, since I took over, since I became a driver, wanted to find out why this is a bad business to get into. And what I've come up with is I think most of the problem is what you guys are trying to solve is the management. Because when someone tells me that there's no money in it, I ask them, you know, why? And uh, they really don't have uh, an answer for that. Um, I ask questions like, you know, your, what do you put in your maintenance program? What do you put away for taxes? All these questions. And um, the, they don't really have an answer for that. So his, his summation is that people don't do very well in business because they're not very good business people. Well, I agree with you 100% there. Um, so um, his question was, is there, is there a pretty big difference in depreciation between a Kenworth or a Peterbilt or a, um, <laughs> he must have done a voice to text here, Freightliner. It seems to me like the Kenworth and the Peterbilt would appreciate, uh, I guess, less maybe is what he's saying. Well, here, here again, we, let's get back to the, the, the acquisition cost of a truck. Depreciation is not something we really worry too much about. Fortunately, when you're buying older trucks, especially the, the, the trucks we're buying, you know, the, the, that's one of the reasons that we buy them is we don't suffer the depreciation because we, we buy a truck for 10, 15 grand and put 10 or 15 grand in it. I can get that money out of that truck tomorrow, next year, the year after that, the year after that. I mean, it's not going to depreciate any further than what it already has. Um, a matter of fact, we're going to, we're going to appreciate it, especially if you put a motor in it, uh, because even when you go to insure that truck, it's now worth more. They'll, they will reimburse you the cost of that engine for the first couple of years. So major components like that actually you know, make the truck worth more. So I don't – I mean, I don't know the answer to your question. Which of the, I, I, I've never owned a Peterbilt or, or a Kenworth, don't ever plan to. Um, I, I, I hear other drivers speak of Freightliner as the – as the Chevrolet of the, of the trucking business, you know? Um, but I, I'm going to tell you right now, if you pay $150,000 for, for a Peterbilt or a Kenworth or a Freightliner, um, you know, in, in, in the first year, it's going to lose. My guess is going to be 25% of its value, you know, in the Easy. first year, Easy. regardless of what brand it is. So, um, I, I don't really know how to qu answer your question probably the way you want, but, I wouldn't choose a brand based on depreciation or not. Uh, again, I would drive a Freightliner or a Volvo. Um, the caveat being it's got to have a Detroit in it. And so that in the Volvo world, that's a 99 to 2001. In a Freightliner, it's anything up to 2010, I guess. So because, um, again, we want – we would we would recommend that you get one with a Series 60 engine in it. So, and depreciation, I wouldn't really worry about. What what's it going? What's a ten thousand dollar truck going to depreciate when? First of all, it's not. It won't depreciate anything. You know. Right. Now, now let me say this to you for for you for you bean counters out there, you will still be able to take a depreciation deduction on your truck um, based on what you paid for it and what 
you spent on it prior to putting it in the service. But that has not that that's a whole different story than the depreciation you take depreciation you take on a truck when you buy one between what you paid for it and what's worth a year later. Um, so I hope I'm not hope I'm not confusing yeah. you there. So you the will difference get a between a tax deduction and a and a you know value, just a, a market exactly. value. Exactly, two different things, and uh, and uh, now as just to hit on that tax deduction thing, if you're paying ten fifteen grand for a truck and you're spending another ten or fifteen on it prior to putting it on service, you could depreciate that if you if you had profit to depreciate it. Uh, uh, you also could take the entire, you could expense the entire amount. Uh, in the same year and, and, and expense all of it and, and not have to depreciate over the, the three-year thing. You'll need to talk to your tax accountant about that, but um, that's a decision you'll make, and it'll be based on the pro- how much profit you want to try to not pay tax on. Yeah, That'd be another strategy we, we could have with, who's our Landstar buddy? Wheeler. Steve Wheeler. Steve Wheeler, yeah. So I, I think part of, the, part of the question here that's not being asked is – uh, if they're being honest, is, well, Larry, I want to buy a newer truck. I don't want to buy a $10,000 truck. So let me ask some of these questions so that I can try to get around the fundamental principle here. Okay. You know, uh, sure. th- I think that's I think that's a little bit of it. You know, well, you know, we we hear that with Dave Ramsey all the time. You know, Dave has these, these principles set in stone, and people are like, well, but, you know, what about this? Look, I mean, I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't follow our advice. And when you fail, I'm not going to spit in your face and say, I told you so. I'll, I'll help you. Well, I'm going to help you don't fail, but right. you're setting yourself up for a a very difficult. You're spending money for something that you don't need to spend money for, for some other reason besides business. Okay. Right. Whether it be ego, whether it be you trying to impress people that you probably don't like anyway. Or for whatever, or you think that you're going to avoid maintenance costs because you're buying a new vehicle. All of these are things that you're thinking that you're making this decision for. That I can tell you right now, those are flawed reasonings. Okay. Yeah. Probably the biggest reason that you're making this decision is because that's how you make other decisions in your life. Okay. And and I I had this book laying here, and you 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 I can't believe you said that. But here's the reason why that they want to buy that kind of truck. Can you read that? I can't read the top of it. This is a book from Larry Wingett that I've had for years. And the name of the book is You're Broke Because You Want to Be. So, and, the, and the next thing is how to stop getting by and start getting ahead. So if this, if that's the reason that you want to buy that truck, go buy this book, You're Broke Because You Want to Be by Larry Wingett. It's very easy reading. You read in about probably two hours. And it'll discuss all the reasons why you're making that decision. It's not got, it has nothing to do with business. A, a lot of what we talk about is very simple. It, it's We try not to oversimplify it, but it takes a work ethic, and it also takes a willingness to learn new things. You know, you may not be all that mechanically inclined, but you're going to learn. Like it or not, um, you're, you're going to learn. And I would... I would highly recommend not to learn it the hard way, right. you know, l- learn. There's so many things that you can't control in this business that there's no way you can plan for it. Why, why make a decision that puts you behind the eight ball from, from square one? 
Okay. Why go out and spend 50,000 or 75,000 or, you know, my God, a hundred, hundred for the same. I'm going to say 18 wheels, even though I don't believe in 18 wheels. Okay. I don't believe in 18 wheels, but the same tool mm-hmm. that I can go out and pay fifteen thousand dollars for, twenty or thirty if you include what we're going to put into it, okay? And I can go pull freight, and and the and same freight, the same freight for the same customer, and they could care less which truck pulled out front, okay? Yeah, they probably like me better because I'm in a better mood because I'm not broke. Okay, and I'm not mm-hmm. pressured when I get there because I haven't had. St- I got to go home for Christmas. All my drivers went home for Christmas, you know, because they're not under pressure to make a truck payment, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I'm happier when I show up because I got to go home for Christmas. Okay, you showed up, not you, but the person who bought this expensive truck. You didn't mm-hmm. get to go home. You don't go home very often at all because you can't afford to get out of the truck. So you're mad when you get there. They don't like you from the start. Now, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, but you, you get my point here, mm-hmm. is that there's, there's absolutely no reason, you know, to do that. Uh, there's, there's not one justifiable reason. There's not, there's not a warranty reason. There's not a maintenance reason. There's not, I mean, there, there, is, there is zero reason to do it. You know, we're dealing with, we're, we, we have a 2010 that has DPF, okay? We're dealing with something, right? We we got this truck because we got it for little or nothing. This was an experiment. It's not a truck we normally buy. We we wanted to see if, if this might be something we might want to go to eventually. But so we've got one, okay? Um, right now, we've got an issue right now with it doing we're having to do park regions, you know. So we know we got a problem coming up. We don't know, you know. We don't. None of our other trucks have that problem. Have that problem, you know? No. You know, they'll so run on a, three cylinders. If you have a choice to eliminate all of those problems from your plate, why would you choose to add that to it? You know, just explain that to me. Why would you make that choice when, because that's what it is. You can buy a 2009, you know, and not have that problem. Seven. Okay. Or seven. Yeah. Seven. Seven. seven, I'm sorry. And not have that problem. So you, you know, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of used trucks in the United States of America. Okay. Um, now, I'll give you, there's probably a whole lot more that are 08 and newer, but there's still a lot of 07s and older out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're going into business, especially if you're, if you're doing this for the first time. Now, if you've been, if you've been driving for 20 years and you, you know, you got money in the bank. Hey, go buy whatever you go buy a big car. I it, whatever you that's, but that's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the guy who's a company driver right now, and he's trying to decide whether he wants to become an owner operator. And you go out and buy that truck. You're a fool for doing it. Okay. And this might just go into our the subject that we thought we might be talking about is our, if you make that decision, are you willing to do what it's going to take to make that work? You know. Yeah. Because there's well, a I whole think, big difference between doing what it takes to make that work and yeah. doing what it takes to make what we do work. I think we can te- we can use that to tease the next episode because we, we need to talk in a different episode about doing what it takes. Um, yeah. I, I'm reminded of a line from Daryl Waltrip who, uh, you know, back in the 90s started his own race team, you know, because mm-hmm. he looked around and he's like, well, everybody else is doing it. And I'm I'm just as capable. And now he'll tell you. If you want to make a small fortune in racing, 
start with a big one. Bigger one. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, if you're a self-made millionaire and you can afford to write a check for a $150,000 truck, I mean, well, shoot, it don't matter. You've got, you've Not got all the money in the world. Sure. Um, but if you're like 99% of everybody else, you, you can't afford it. So to close this episode, I want to tell you just a quick story about what I'm dealing with right now. And this will, this will kind of play in both to what we've been talking about and what we're going to talk about on the next episode. Because I, I said the line this morning talking to one of my drivers, I said, isn't it amazing how hard we have to work to make up for other people's incompetence and stupidity? Because we're the one with the load on the trailer. Regardless of what happens, the, the, the end of the line responsibility is ours to get the, to the freight delivered. So as Larry mentioned, we've got an issue with our Cascadia and, uh, we've got the truck we just bought in the shop right now, uh, getting some, some stuff done to it. And, uh, so I had taken a, a, one of the other trucks from one of the other drivers to get some work done on it, put a heater core in it, um, and uh install a bunk heater and um so back in october we had a tie rod in break on that truck right tide tie rod breaks the 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 crossover tube hits the ground the driver gets it off the road by some miracle we 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 go around we find the part they put the part on the side of the road and uh so i'm driving this truck for two weeks and it just every day it starts driving worse and worse and worse and it's pulling hard to the right and it's starting to vibrate so yesterday i stopped and i had somebody look at it and we found that that right tie rod in is about to break again and so the first thing that we discovered is that the people that installed the new part apparently didn't bother to look to see beyond well you've got a broken tie rod there let's just put a new tie rod in it they didn't bother to look and what we believe is that the hole in the arm that the tie rod connects to is kind of wallowed out. And so you can put a thousand tie rods in this thing and, and it's going to throw them every two months. And so, you know, there's the first failure of, of someone who had access. They had access to see and they didn't look. All right. So I had the toe set on the, on the front end on December 29th. And I had a guy said, hey, well, just check everything out. I mean, look at all the suspension. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I set the toes out a little bit. Still, this, this truck continues to drive worse and worse and worse. So yesterday, we find it's bad shape. So I'm literally within rock-throwing distance of a Freightliner dealer. And I called them and said, hey, I need this part. Oh, buddy, sorry, we don't have it. And I said, who does? Look around. Look around the whole country. Who's got it? Oh, they got it out here in Chesapeake, Virginia. All right, good. So I called him and I said, uh, hey, listen, I'm told you have this part. I need you to put your hands on it because I'm in a bad spot. I've got to have this truck fixed tomorrow. I need this part. I need it overnighted to me. So I paid the bill and I had to jump through all these hoops and I had to file out paperwork and send copies of my credit card, my driver's license. And I did all that, did everything I was asked. And I said, I need this part tomorrow. I also told him I needed a tracking number. He sent me the wrong one. So this morning I get up, it's Saturday morning. I ordered the part yesterday and I said, uh, Hey, I never got this correct tracking number. So he gives it to me and I get on there and it says delivery Tuesday, not today. Now, after I got done 
from my head blowing off and I lit this guy's ass on fire. And he, I mean, he's apologizing, but I can tell he don't care. That's out of his hands. The parts left the building. It UPS has it, you know, and there's, we're, I mean, it's Saturday morning. UPS is not going to magically overnight this, this, this part to you because it's gone. And so I have a series of people here that made a choice to not care. That's what it comes down to. They just don't care. If they did care, they they could have just, the the guy that put the tie rod in could have taken a flashlight and five minutes. And we would have known then, hey, you know what? I think this tie rod failed because, well, now that gives us something to, oh, okay, well, we've got something else we've got to get fixed. No. The next guy, he's got an opportunity. He don't look at it. Even after we pointed it out to him. Yeah. Please look this over, you know. Yeah. So now I have the third guy. Don't care. I mean, he got paid. You know, the credit card went through. The bill was paid. And and and, and he did his job. Well, about half of it. So now I'm sitting here with a truck in my driveway that I can't drive. And I've got to leave tomorrow. So I've got a guy coming to the house tomorrow. And we've got to try to figure out, thrash around, and come up with some way to get this truck to, to get me a thousand miles, 500 out and 500 back safely, because there's a load on the trailer right now of very expensive cabinets that people ordered. And so there are, you know, there's 15,000 pounds of cabinets on there's probably a hundred orders on that truck of people who were expecting their product to show up on a certain day. And now they're, their product that they paid for and they expect to come is now in jeopardy because of three assholes that wouldn't bother themselves to just put 10% more effort. Now we have the trailer. We have the load. We have the customer depending on us. And we have to do whatever it takes to, to, to rectify the situation and, and get this thing done. And, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful and I think we'll I think we'll come up with a solution. But if you're not prepared to take money out of your own pocket as we have done before, we paid a guy $500 to go deliver a load for us because schedules got mixed up and we had dedicated freight we had to cover, so we paid a guy, a friend of mine, $500 that the rate didn't cover. You know, we lost money on that load. It was, and that load was horrible. It was heavy, and the customers on the front and end both sucked, and it was a it was a crappy load to begin with. But we delivered it because that's what we're supposed to do. If you're not willing to learn about tie rod ends and Ackerman arms and bushings and springs and motors and transmissions and clutches, to where you can have that understanding of what your truck needs when it needs it. And so that you can watch these people. We have, we have the greatest, probably the greatest living mechanic I've ever known coming to my house tomorrow. But he's one guy, you know, I wish I could just carry him around with me. You know, I mean that, that would be, that'd be awesome, you know, but I can't. And when I'm out away from him where I can't use him, I've got to trust other people. And unfortunately they're just not trustworthy. You have to watch them like a hawk. You have to watch and question everything they do. 
if you don't have a relationship with them because they're going to screw you. At the end of the day, you as the owner-operator are responsible. There's nobody coming to rescue you. You have to find a way. So we'll talk about doing whatever it takes in our next episode, but I wanted to give you that little story uh, to kind of highlight in in relation to because it's so much more than well what kind of truck do i buy well you know i mean what kind of truck you buy buy a truck buy a truck you can afford you know buy a truck that you can afford you can get good fuel mileage of you can haul freight with that's that's a kind of small part of this everything else that goes with it of running your business and preparing yourself and learning new things and getting out of your comfort zone and being prepared to stay awake on that 10-hour break to, to watch these idiots to make sure that they're fixing what they're fixing and get you enough sleep to be safe and get back on the road and go to the next place. So we'll close this episode down on that. We appreciate everybody's comments and uh, questions and emails, and we want you to keep them coming. We really appreciate the feedback we're getting. We haven't got any nasty feedback yet. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm, you know, We're going to piss somebody off at some point, and, and I can't wait. Uh, for those to come in so uh, everybody be safe and, and, and be careful and we'll see you on the next episode